Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, February 21st, 2019. I'm Shannon, and I am joined by Sarah, Stacy, Jen, and Natalia, and we are going to share some of our favorite recommendations that fall under the category of own voices. Good evening, ladies. Good evening. Hi, Hi Shannon. So today we are filling a listener request to talk about books by diverse authors that fall into a category known as own voices. So this is people telling the stories of, of their people. So people with disabilities writing about characters with disabilities. Um, people who identify as LBGT writing about characters who identify in those ways. Um, people of different racial or ethnic backgrounds writing about people of those same racial and ethnic backgrounds. So these are all fiction and we have come up with a list of fantastic recommendations. In fact, there are so many of them that we are doing a two-part episode. Sarah is here today, and most likely she will not be here next week, but you will be introduced to one of our new additions, Brooke, and she'll be sharing a few of her favorites. So before we get started, I have the usual housekeeping things, and then we will talk about bookities. So if you want to find us on Facebook, you can do that by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook message, not a messenger group, just a Facebook group, where you can interact with listeners and with us. If you want to get a hold of us for any reason, if you have questions or comments, if you would like some book recommendations for yourself, or if you perhaps would like to give us book, re book recommendations, which would be great, um, you can do that via Facebook or by sending an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. All right. So Sarah will start us off today. I will follow, then Jen, Stacy, and of course, Natalia will be last because <laughs> that's how she likes it. <laughs> truth truth has anyone read any books by Sonali Dev no, no. Sarah I have not yes. <laughs> that's yes yes so Sonali Dev is I feel an, an amazing author and the first book that I'm going to talk about today is called A Distant Heart and it's by Sonali Dev and it is a story about some people who live in India and the culture that's just very effortlessly woven throughout this story is just so fascinating to me. The way the houses are, the, 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 the food people eat, the different kind of classes. It's just very interesting. So this story is about a girl named Kimmy. And she lives in a mansion with her parents. She is their miracle baby. They lost seven children before her. Oh, oh wow. I know. 
That's very sad. And so she's their miracle. Well, the problem with that is the mother especially is extremely overprotective of Kimmy because they are so worried. Like, she is supposed to take hand gel to school and, and sanitize her hands so many times. She can't have friends over. She can't go to friends' houses ever because they don't know how sanitized things are. The mom is just so afraid something's going to happen to her. So at age 11, it is determined that Kimmy has a rare autoimmune disease. And she basically has to spend the next several years living in a room in her mansion that has been fixed so that it's safe for her. Like the air is purified. There are like a, a plastic. And, you know, you can't like touch her. You can come in, but you have to be like very clean and masked and all of this to say she basically lives a very um, isolated life isolated but yet pampered Mm -hmm. anything they call her kimmy baby anything kimmy baby wants yes and the other character in the story and i really apologize that i will not say his name as beautifully as how it should be said but his name is rahul and he is not from a mansion and the way that he gets involved with Kimmy's family is he's with his dad one day and his dad is part of the police and his dad throws himself in front of Kimmy's dad who is like the he's not the prime minister but he's like a a minister like a high up of this province of India and he takes a bullet for him and dies when Rahul yeah it's horrible Rahul is is 14 Wow. So traumatic. Yes. And so he, the, Kimmy basically hears about this, doesn't know who he is and says, you know, you have to do something. You have to treat him like he's your son. You, you know, this, he saved your life. And the father of course agrees. And so offers to help like with schooling and some other things. But Rahul is very proud and said, I will work off this debt. You know, you can send my siblings and me to school, but I'm working it off. So he meets Kimmy when he's washing her windows and they develop this beautiful friendship. And then it is after a few years of of this friendship, the medication that she's taking in order to help with her autoimmune disease causes her to have major heart, heart problems. And she develops congestive heart failure and needs a heart transplant. So Kimmy gets a heart transplant and the whole thing is just so interesting to me because it's in India and just the whole process, it's not like it is here and just the way like there's staff in the house and how they treat her and they call her Kimmy baby. It's just really interesting. And she's like, you know, in her twenties and she doesn't act like a baby. She's a really awesome character, but she goes and she gets her heart transplant and then she wants to be with Rahul and he's like, no, I'm your friend only. And so it's, it's discovered throughout this and this is not giving anything away that there is a a scheme of people getting organs off the black market oh i know isn't that it's pretty horrible and so there's some question as to whether or not kimmy's heart was from this so this book was just a beautiful to me it was it was kind of to be honest a lot of it was a little slower than what i would like but the way she painted the picture was so beautiful and the the book itself was just a really, it was a slow building romance, very fabulous. Oh, yes, it was really, really, really good. And just the whole friendship was beautiful. Um, if you want to know about India and, and 
kind of the, the different cultures. Sonali Dev would be a great author to check out because the book is great fiction. The characters are wonderful, but there's a lot of culture thrown in that I wouldn't have known about. This book, again, is called A Distant Heart. It's by Sonali Dev, and you can read any of her other titles. They're just as good. I just talked about this one because I just read it. I think we really like India on this podcast. I think so, I think too. Have yeah. <laughs> so my first pick is the debut novel by author Anissa Gray. And I mentioned this on our most anticipated um, books of 2019, and I finally read it, and I am so glad I did. It is The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls. As I said, the author is Anissa Gray. And this novel introduces us to the Butler family. And there are three sisters, Althea, Viola, and Lillian, and they also have a brother named Joe. And these are, their, their relationships are, are kind of strained. There's a lot of things that happened in their childhoods that make it hard for them to relate to one another. But when Althea, who is the oldest of these siblings, is arrested and she and her husband are imprisoned, Lillian returns to the family home to care for Althea's twin daughters who are teenagers and having just a really hard time with everything that's going on with their their parents. I'm not going to tell you what Proctor and Althea have done to get themselves arrested. Um, and so I'm not going to go into a lot of the, the reasons why this is difficult because that gives things away. So they are kind of forced to be in pretty close proximity to each other, at least Viola and Lillian are, as they struggle to provide some sort of stability to Althea's daughters. And this is one of those stories about women who are, are strong and yet incredibly vulnerable in some different ways. Um, Viola is a lesbian who has been diagnosed with an eating disorder. Um, Lillian is dealing with a lot of childhood trauma. And of course, Althea is struggling with this whole concept of, of being a criminal and being behind bars for like a huge amount of time um, for the crimes that she and her husband have committed. We see things in alternating chapters from the perspective of each of the three sisters. This is just a gorgeously rendered story. It's one of those books that you read and you have a really hard time believing that this is someone's debut novel just because it's so very well done. Um, it's one of these books that I just really didn't want to put down. I wanted just to keep exploring um, the world and the lives of these women. So I very, very highly recommend this. And this is, again, The Care and Feeding of Ravenously Hungry Girls by Anissa Gray. I also want to add that there are a lot of descriptions of um, someone with an eating disorder. So that's just a thing to be aware of if that's troubling. Can't wait to read this book. It's so beautiful. So exciting. The first book I'm going to speak about is The Book of Unknown Americans yes. by Christina <laughs> Enrique. And this is her debut novel. And I really hope she writes something else. This book is incredible, both in the story and if you read it on audio, it's 
book award for the a multiple POV narration. Oh. Um, but that part aside, the story is incredible. So in this book, we meet several people, but the central story is based around the Riveras who have immigrated from Mexico to Delaware to seek treatment for their daughter, Maribel, who has suffered a traumatic brain injury at her father's workplace. And they move into this apartment complex where several other families of other undocumented immigrants live from other South American countries. And some of these characters do end up being somewhat central, more peripheral than the Rivera's, but still central. And then others we get to know through subsequent chapters, through what almost feels like vignettes, but they're still integral to this sense of found family, the sense of community that people have through this apartment building. Um, and we come to know the struggles of the Rivera family, both through um, language barriers, economic barriers, and so on. And we get to see this beautiful love story develop between Maribel and this young man who lives in the complex as well called Mehor. And he, um, his family's from Panama, but he's been there for, since he was for like 15 years. So he's been there almost his whole life. And he sees through her disability and sees her for the person that she is, despite what she's been through. So there's this beautiful slow build um, romance that happens. And yet at the same time, um, the author is not pulling any punches. And we do see the struggles of all these people, the struggles and the triumphs and what they go through. And ultimately there is this very violent thing that happens I can't explain that irrevocably changes things for all of these people. But the story is gorgeous. It's heartbreaking. Unfortunately, Sarah and Stacey, you probably won't want to read it. Thank you for the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But it's amazing. And uh, it is called The Book of Unknown Americans by Christina. I love the name Maribel. I just have to say that. I just just love it. Very common for us. Yeah, Yeah. but it's pretty neat. I love this book. It must be a night for debut authors. Um, from what I understand, the book I'm going to talk about is a, is a debut for an author. And I've been wanting to talk about this book for a while. I actually mentioned it. I think it was oh. in the January Picks episode. And it's called The Matchmaker's List. And the author is um, Sonia Lolly. And I'm sure I didn't say her name correctly. I'm so sorry. And this book, to me, was just the most delightful, happy it was perfection and it's about Raina and she has grown up with her very traditional um, Indian grandmother. And now she is turning 29 on the, on the moment the story opens, she's it's her 29th birthday. And her grandmother has decided that, um, you know, she's been very supportive of Raina going off and doing different things and not necessarily adhering to all the ways that a, a woman in the Indian culture expectations that that culture has for a woman. But now Raina's 29 and her grandmother has decided it is time for her to marry. And so she is going to um, assist Raina in making this arranged marriage happen. And so this is really something that Raina is not comfortable with. She's not ready to be on the marriage and family track. She is very happy in her career. She's happy being a single woman in her own apartment. Um, She's recently moved back to the area. Uh, They live in Canada after having going through a horrific breakup um, in London. So she's just sort of like enjoying being single. Well, 
but there's nothing she wouldn't do for her beloved Nani, who is her grandmother. And so, love it. yeah, love and, Nani. That's yes. Cute. And so, so she decides that she's going to go along with this. So the very first scene is her walking in to this um, arranged date on her birthday at her grandmother's house for her and, and this man that she doesn't know. And so the whole series of books is basically, or the whole series, the, the whole book is a series of different dates that are set up by her grandmother. And um, you read things on the list that her grandmother writes. And then her responses, Raina's responses to things on the list, like, you know, asshole or, or like, um, <laughs> I mean, just stuff that, you know, or never go on another date, you know, just little things that she writes then to, to add the to her one. grandmother's notes. Yeah. Like the grandmother and, would say something like, oh, whatever, whatever, a doctor. And then she would write whatever, whatever, never again. Yeah. Yes. And it was just no, the most delightful mind. thing. And so <laughs> throughout this, like the, the, the first, I have to be honest and tell you, the first part of the book I felt was a little slow. And I kept thinking, but I know this is going to build. And it just kept building and getting better and better. And so besides the fact that this woman is going through a um, process of trying to figure out who she needs to be in terms of her culture and, and how can she, um, you know, basically is she able to conform to what her grandmother wants by and yet still keep her own belief system and values in place. Um, but it's also about basically in this culture how not conforming and, and saying and, and having people believe things about you um, can really put you outside of the support system and can lead to gossip and hurtful things being said about you. So it's about, you know, figuring out who you are. It's about accepting yourself for who you are. And it's about this, this, this character of Raina learning and growing and learning how to embrace her culture and also, you know, stand up for the things that she believes in. And it's seriously like one of my favorite reads in a really long time. So it's called The Matchmaker's List by Sonia Lally. And it's just beautiful. Um, and I would just like to publicly say on this podcast that Stacy is right. Because I started reading it. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, it's kind of boring. Oh, no, it was so it was so good. Yeah, it just so, had all the notes. It was all the things. I pick it know. up and give it a chance. Don't 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 put it down after the first you got to give it a little bit yep well the first book i'm going to talk about is actually a book i read uh for a book club i would have never found it myself i had never heard of it before this book club and it was phenomenal uh, it's called the girl who wrote in silk and i hope i'm pronouncing her name right by kelly estes yes i think that's right estes i love and this book I, I do so much, so much. This book is all the things, all the feels. And it was something new for me. So this book is about a lady named Dimara. And she is looking through her aunt's dece her deceased aunt's island estate. I was just going to say aunt's deceased estate. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so she's looking through her aunt's estate and her aunt's things. And she finds this roll of, can you guess, can you guess what? Silk, silk, and woven into the silk is a story, and this story has to do with her ancestors, and it has to do with a young Chinese girl that was that was taken away from her home when she was very young, named I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Meilin, and it's you know Meilin of course is long gone, but her story intersects with Imara's story and Imara's family. And basically, she's going to have to make some kind of choice 
and learn some things about her ancestors that might be good and might be bad. And I really, really love this book because it is actually based on true events of our American history. And, you know, uh, we've always read about, you know, cert I guess in, in school, I don't know, you know, about everybody else, but in school, that part of our history was not covered, at least not for me. No, no, no. 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 I didn't, you didn't hear about, mm -hmm. like, immigrants from China and, like, the terrible ways in which they were treated. No, no you didn't. No. Uh-uh. So, you know, it was it was something new. It was heartbreaking, heart wrenching, um, and and somehow not surprising because we Americans have done terrible things to to um, other uh, people that aren't American, right? It's but, true. Yeah, it's it's a sad it's a sad reality. I Very sad. <laughs> you know, it's it's a sad reality. But this was something I didn't know. So at the same time, as far as heartbreaking as heartbreaking as it was, it was good to be informed. I think it's important to know our history and and to know the prejudices that there were. I mean, so it's a phenomenal book. Um, it I wouldn't say that it has. Um, like a happy ending, happily ever after, but it does have a satisfactory ending. When you okay. finish it, you will be satisfied and you will be happy with the outcome. And I just think you should pick it up. It's called The Girl Who Wrote in Silk by Kelly Estes. Are you, saying wrote, are you saying wrote? Are you saying wrote or rode? Wrote? No, wrote. wrote. As okay. In, as in writing. Writes. Okay. Just want to make sure I heard the that. The Girl right. Who Wrote in Silk. Yes. Because that's going on my TBR. That sounds really good. It's so beautiful. It's on Bard. It's a beautiful story. Okay. It is on Bard. Um, it, it's just, I don't even know. I can't even tell you. Uh, it's just so different from anything. I always say this, but it really is. I mean, I didn't know about any of this stuff. And it's, it, it's terrible stuff to know about, but it needs to be. It's right. stories but that need to be heard. It's one of the beautiful things about the Own Voices episode is that we're learning about other cultures and other groups and other, you know, things. So right. I, I need to pick this up for sure. And for it sure. is a thematic, as I think Jen said once, a thematic favorite of the podcast because there's a dual timeline novel. Oh, yay. Did oh, you yes, think about it that? is a dual timeline. Yes. I never thought about it like yes. that. So let's talk about some football. No. Yay. Go Giants, baby. <laughs> so maybe we won't necessarily talk about the Cowboys. So maybe we won't necessarily talk all about football because I oh, know shit. about as much about football as could fit in the palm of my hand. But let's talk about Intercepted, the playbook, book one Yay. by Alexa Martin and I adored reading this book so much. Thank you, Stacy, for suggesting it. Oh, sorry. Stacy, thank you so much for suggesting it. Thank you. Stacy, you require <laughs> way too much praise. I, I need validation <laughs> some days. <laughs> well, sometimes I get real buried in, like, one particular genre, and then somebody has to pull me out. And <laughs> that's what I did. So We have to intercept you. <laughs> yes, you have to intercept me. So this book is about a woman who is dating a football player a um a pro football player pro yes that was the word i couldn't think of a pro uh -huh. football player and i'm not giving anything away here because you learn this right away she's been with him for 10 years since high school and Whoa. she yes and she has um been waiting for him to put a ring on it and he never does, but she has to hang out with the wives of the football players. 
So she's stuck in this gaggle of people, of women, called the Lady Mustangs. <laughs> and she is not popular with them because she is not a wife. She is a girlfriend. And the president of the Lady Mustangs, Courtney, likes to make her feel bad. And she's very controlling. And at every meeting, she has this pink glittery gavel that she smacks on the table and flings glitter into everybody's food and drinks and everything because she controls the meeting. <laughs> so um, she learns very early on in the book that this man that she's been with for 10 years has been cheating on her. Well, that sucks that's a lot. Yes. And do you think she sits down and cries or do you think she packs her shit and gets out of his house? In a she? I hope she tackles him first. Well, she, she gives him a piece of her mind and she calls her dad. Oh, <laughs> and he is very scary and doesn't put up with his girl getting messed around. But oh, in the oh. meantime, there is a new quarterback on the team who her ex is trying to get in really tight with because, um, He's a quarterback, and this guy is a is a the the, the new guy is the quarterback, and that X is the wide receiver. Is that the right word? That's I have no word. idea. Or is it tight end? He's a no. football dude. I don't. Remember he's something what he is. that needs a quarterback, but he's not a quarterback. I think he's the wide receiver. Oh my God. <laughs> and this is how much we know <laughs> about football. <laughs> but this book was really good. So um, she's trying to leave. She has all of her stuff, like, thrown in suitcases in his, like, big gaudy house, and she's leaving. And um, the new guy, Gavin, is there because he was invited over and kind of sees this glorious meltdown. So her ex is being a total, um, let's just say, jerk. Yes. And um, he had bought her a car, and he won't let her take her Prius. Whoa. So the guy's like, I'll drive you. So she's, like, in the car with him. And, oh, I forgot to say, they had a one-night stand, like, many years before when they were she and her ex were on a breakup. And Ooh, she doesn't think he remembers her. She doesn't think he remembers her. But he does. And she has decided that she is not going to date any more athletes. She is done. She's out of the Lady Mustangs. <clears throat> she's going to make her own way. So this book is just a beautifully written it, and it's very comical, but there are some pretty deep underlying things in this book. And a couple of the, the issues in this book are that I think there is some kind of racist people in the Lady Mustangs. Um, her, one of her parents is black and one of her parents is white. And there are a couple times where they reference like, oh, you're like from a rapper video. And like all, I mean, it's like really kind of horrifying but what I love about this book is it, it's woven in so, like, seamlessly. You don't feel like you're getting a lecture about, like, the way people treat other people. It's just, it's more like you're just horrified that there are people that actually talk like that. Um, yeah, so she moves out on her own. She gets a job. She, like, does all these things and becomes really self-sufficient. And my favorite part about this book, besides the romance, which is pretty awesome, is that she really learns to love herself. Yep. yep. And that's, to me, uh, just the biggest part. But there are some really interesting, like... Dynamics. Dynamics and, and, and learning to be with a family that's a little bit different than yours and learning about... How to fit in? Where do you fit in? How do you do this? 
And I just cannot say enough about this book and it will make you laugh and it will make you choke up. And so go out and, and get right now today intercepted the playbook book one by Alexa Martin. You will not be sad. You will love it. It's just beautiful. I love it. How about a really creepy mystery? Okay. <laughs> um, this is Monday's Not Coming Ew. by <laughs> Tiffany D. Jackson. And I read, I believe it came out in 2017, um, this author's debut novel, which is called Allegedly. And I loved it so, so much, um, even though I was very disturbed while I was reading it. You were um, disturbed. I was. Oh, and Monday's <laughs> Not Coming um, also disturbed me, although in kind of a different way. So this is a young adult thriller. And it is based on an item that the author saw in the news about these teenage girls who went missing in Washington, D.C. And no one knew anything about it, and they didn't really seem to care. So this story follows Claudia. Jen, is her name Claudia? I believe so, yes. Thank you. I thought so. Um, So this book follows Claudia. And Claudia doesn't understand why her best friend, whose name is Monday, hasn't shown up in school. And she just, like, hasn't been in school for days and days and days. And she tries to, like, ask um, Monday's mother and one of her sisters. And nobody seems to be giving her any answers. They just say things like, oh, she's staying with her aunt. Oh, no, she went to visit her father. And they're just, like, making these things up. And it's very obvious that, like, something is wrong. But no matter what Claudia says to anyone around her, like her parents, her teachers, the school nurse, like Monday's family, no one seems to really care about this. Uh And we don't understand why. This is very stressful. I know. I'm feeling anxiety. (laughs) It was very stressful to read. Um, And then like you find out why and it's totally like creepy And yet, it's the kind of thing that, like, could actually happen, and you know that, and I think that's part of what makes it as disturbing as it is. It's it's very, very real, and you know that things like this really do happen to people. Um, It's a really hard book to describe without giving away very key things that would be very wrong of me to give away. So I cannot really say much about it other than what I've already said. But this is Monday's Not Coming, and again, it is the second novel by Tiffany D. Jackson, and her third one, I think, will be coming out in May of this year, and I'm very, very excited for it. And, and let me guess. Haven't, what? Shannon has an arc. Shannon does not <laughs> have an arc. <laughs> I wish. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought that's for sure what you were going to say. <laughs> no, I wish I had an arc. If you have not read Allegedly do that too because it's great my next book i'm going to talk about is little fires everywhere by <laughs> which is her second novel <laughs> and i liked her first novel but i loved this one 
Um, amazing. As I've amazing. talked about before, anytime we have unconventional characters, I'm a happy person. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this book, this book is set in Shaker Heights in Ohio. Oh. Which I don't think is a real place. It is. Twins. Oh, it is? is it, I it think is? so. Okay. Shaker Isn't Heights. It by Cleveland? I think it's by Cleveland. Yes, it's by Cleveland, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah, like it's everything a real place. we read about in Ohio is real. Correction, <laughs> it's a real place. Okay. So apparently this place was very meticulously mapped out by shakers. And they had very specific ideas about how things were supposed to be. Uh, down to like pink colors of houses and all these things. And so in the beginning of this book, there's this very well-to-do family called the Richardsons. And one of their children has burned their house down and left. Well, Oh, I don't really know why. <laughs> wow, because that's great. <laughs> wow, because talk and about so teenage rebellion. Like <laughs> the hot topic of conversation. So there's this family, the Richardsons, and they're very well-to-do, and they're very, like, well-established within Shaker Heights and all of this. And they're very happy living their lives and in some ways following the rules, some of them more than others. And some of them are not so happy with following the rules. But into this very rule-following society falls Mia and her daughter, Pearl. They come to town. Mia is this very enigmatic artist. And she and Mrs. Richardson end up on opposite sides of a custody battle um, concerning this Chinese... American baby that the Richardson's family friend uh, friends want to adopt. Um, Mia knows the mother, the biological mother, and so then basically Mrs. Richardson decides that Mia has things to hide, and she um, and and this is sort of true and sort of not, but it, it's she decides she's going to look into this to the detriment of basically everybody. And everybody's lives are changed. We also see the stories of the children in these families. So Pearl is very in awe of the Richardson children. Um, and I say children because they're, they're teenagers. I should say teenagers. Um, she gets very drawn into their world. And this concerns Mia quite a bit. And as the book goes on, we get to know about Mia's backstory. Um, but we see kind of why Pearl has kind of an allure for um, this family because she's lived a very nomadic existence and in some ways she's really enjoyed this in other ways she just really wants stability and she's and Mia has promised her that this time they're going to settle down they're going to stay here um and she gets involved with one of the Richardson's sons um there's a bit of a love triangle thing for like a second and we we see things from all the children's points of view we see things from Mia's point of view we see things from Mrs. Richardson's point of view. Um, it's a very multifaceted story. I feel like I'm not explaining it very well, but it's incredible. It will suck you in from the first few pages. And I believe, I'm trying to remember who narrates. Someone Audio. with a name. I was going to say that I knew what it was, but I don't. Someone with a name. I hope they have one, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I, I don't remember who it is, but whoever it is, they do a very good job if you read the audio. Um, but even if you don't, please consider picking this up, especially if you're kind of like so-so about her first novel. This novel was amazing. Again, this is Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Eng. 
I did not like the first one. Like, I read Little Fires Everywhere first, and then I went back and picked up the first one. That would be me. Yeah, and I, I just didn't really care for it. But this one so, so was it. so, so good. Yes, I, I read it. it during a 24-hour readathon. Ah, that's a good time to read that. In one sitting. Oh, yes. I have to give mad props to Jen because without her, I would not have read this next book. And so tonight is a night for validation. So I must tell her, thank you 5,000 times. Because the book I'm going to talk about is called Dread Nation. Yeah. <laughs> and it's by Justina Ireland. And this book did everything for me that a book should do. It was the most, oh my God. I mean, I almost like, it's so I almost have to like fangirl and twirl and squeal. Like, I don't even know how to describe this book to you. Like, <laughs> and, and again, I have to preface by saying it is technically a young adult novel, but you don't feel that while you're reading it. It's also a bit of an alternate history type book. Um, so let me just describe it to you. And it has my very favorite thing in it. Well, not my very favorite, but one of my favorite things to read about. They're so romantic. I love reading about zombies so much. Anyway, I so love zombies. I know. So it's all the things. So anyway, this book um, is an alternate history. It is, um, it is about, let's see, I think it's the 1870s. And um, mm -hmm. we have moved from, you know, the typical history timeline into something else for you see during the battle of Gettysburg. Wow. During the battle of Gettysburg, the dead began to rise from the <laughs> battlefield. And suddenly there are things that are way more immediate to deal with than the civil war. And that is that, you know, soldiers are just getting um, bitten by their dead comrades on the battlefield. And all of a sudden it's like mass chaos. So uh, in the midst of this two days before this happened, actually, a young woman by the name of Jane McKean was born in the South. Jane McKean is African-American and her mother is white. And during her childhood, um, as, as, as things were developing, so slavery was abolished, it's true. However, new laws were put in place um, to protect the wealthy and well-to-do, typically the white people of the, of the US, um, from the threat of the dead. And so there was this law that was enacted and it was called the Native and Negro Education Act. Ew. And basically, I know, isn't that horrible, just the name? And basically yes. what it does is um, it takes young children and puts them in these combat schools to teach them how to protect the more entitled upper crust. Upper, I don't even know. I'm trying not to use really like it was a very upsetting thing to read about. Um, so basically um, they were trained up in uh, etiquette, but also in, you know, combat to, to protect from the zombies. But there is um, a faction of people who would like the world to return to how it was uh, the U S before the dead rose. And they're trying very hard to make that happen. And Jane McKean is this very, self-sufficient, sassy, intelligent, kind of kick-ass young heroine. She's about 16, I'd say. Um, she's just about to finish her time at this um, school in Baltimore. I'm blanking on the name. Does anybody remember the name? I want to say it's for mm -hmm. young ladies, but it's not a school for young ladies. 
Um, I don't remember the name. Yeah, I'm blanking on it. It's like a, yeah, but anyway, um, so she's about to finish her time there. And all of a sudden, families in the area have begun disappearing. Um, You know, there's there's like an influx of zombies. Um, There's all these like uprisings going on. And so she decides what she's going to do is, you know, leave the school and become a protector um, to a family. And while she's doing this, she's also spying because there's a lot of stuff going on right now that it's just none of it's good. And, you know, and then to kind of to cap everything else off, there are um, are these letters that she exchanges with her mother back on her southern plantation um, that kind of begin um, many of the chapters and these letters are all very tongue in cheek because they're not really telling what's going on in real life. Um, and I don't feel like I'm doing this book like even a tenth of the justice it deserves. But it's the first, and I'm hoping the next book comes out sometime soon because it is, for me, it was all the things. It was the action, the adventure, the, you know, kind of coming of age of this really, really, really amazing young woman and kind of showing how even in a time of great upheaval, racial injustices were still sort of a commonplace thing. So, um, you know, if, if you want something really good to read that also includes zombies, my friends, please try Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. You will love it. Yes. Huh. The sequel. I can't wait to read it. Very yeah, you need to. The yeah. sequel does sequel not. Title? Well, I don't know. It doesn't have a title. It's still listed as untitled. And all it says is expected publication 2019. Oh, that's this year's old. Yes. It is. I and know. But I'm I, worried that if the title's not out, maybe yeah, it's not we left me. Jane in a very precarious a position. Yeah, they have. But we we've, yeah. we've left our, our heroine in a precarious position, and so I need to know what's going to happen to her. No, so. no cliffhangers. <laughs> It doesn't even matter. You'll love it so much you won't even care. Oh, until the so end. No, then you'll I care. <laughs> I wait for, I'll wait for the second book. So speaking of racial injustice, the next book I'm going to talk about is probably my favorite. Oh my god. I don't even know I don't know why I didn't list it as my top reads of twenty eighteen. Oh, it's because I didn't read it in twenty eighteen, huh? And because it didn't <laughs> come out in twenty eighteen. And that. <laughs> but this is one of these books that just needed to be written and it was so just poignant and you know it's kind of like what's the point in having a voice if you don't use it right so the book is called the hate you give by angie thomas oh my gosh all the things and it's about star and star is a 16 year old african-american girl and she's kind of you know, stuck between two worlds. She's, uh, her family was able to afford to send her to a posh school. Actually, I think she got a scholarship to go to this like posh school in the suburbs with, you know, where the people are mostly white. You know, she's probably one of the few people of color in the school. But since she's there on scholarship, you know, her family isn't very well to do. And so she still lives in a, a poor neighborhood. And, you know, She's she's kind of like got her two worlds uh, separate the way she first of all likes it and also the way it has to be and in, in her point of view right except that they will collide because one day one night after a party she's in the car with her childhood best friend Khalil and a police officer stops them and for no reason at all shoots Khalil and Khalil oh. dies oh no and she is the only witness to this. 
And, you know, of course, it's a big deal as those kinds of things are in this time period, um, because the time period of the book is, you know, modern, you know, now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's very hard for her to figure out what to say, what to do, uh, because, you know, she could either be a hero or be killed for what comes out of her mouth since she's the only witness. So it's very, it's a very great book. I think anybody who wonders what the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement is really about should pick up this book. Um, and it, I think if, honestly, this is one of those books that if I could literally shove it down everyone's throat and make everybody read it, I would. You know, not, not every book is like that. You know? No, but this one. But this one is. It, it really, really, really is. And it's called The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. And pick it up. For me, it was it was really great because I was able to, uh, you know, understand. Not that I didn't before, but it's it's different when you're reading it from a first person point of view. Somebody that was there, and and what they go through, and what what it means. You know how the cultures intersect, or how they don't intersect. Even now in 2018, how we can all share a country, and because of something as as uh, I guess stupid as race really um, there could be such a divide and I feel like this book was great at touching on that I went to a book discussion at our local library about this book um, last year which I'd read it before that Um, and we talked about a lot of these same things and we did touch on the whole idea you were talking about where she goes to one school right and it's it's called code changing that specific idea of like having to behave one way right. in one faction of society and then going back to where you live and having to behave another way because of class or True. things like that. Right. Um, and it's, called, yeah, and it's usually, I've noticed in the book, it's her own people that make fun of her more than anybody else. You know, with, with the whites, she feels like she'll never fit in. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, it seems to me like they're just ignorant about what her life is like. But I really love the way her boyfriend was, though, with her. Yeah, he was great. But um, then her own people, they make fun of her. Why do you talk so fancy? You know, why are you trying to get out of this life? So it's, it's, it was hard to be where she was, I think. And I love how we see her growth as well, where she really comes into her own and, you know, decides whether she's going to speak out or not. Yes. Yeah. And really comes into her own as an activist. It's pretty incredible. It is pretty. Young age, you know, 16, that's. It's, you know, you grow up fast if something like that happens right in front of you. You know, you, you grow up fast in a way that the children, I mean, you know, she's a child. She's 16 years old. Mm-hmm. That's not something any child should be subjected to, you know? It's just really, really powerful. I remember. Hugely powerful. Yeah. You know, just being really blown away by it in a lot of, of really deep ways. Yes, so much. And, and again, like it's. I, I go back to the whole idea of it's incredible that some of these people write these TPU novels that are just so yes. mind-blowing. Right. Yes. Right. We are really on the theme of debut novels tonight. Oh, you have another one, don't you? Yes, I do. I saved my favorite book of episode for last. And this book was so good, I actually read it twice in like a couple month period. I think I read it like last October and then I read it again just to really refresh myself before this podcast. And it was one of those things I felt like I hadn't read it because it was so good. It just, I just, I just dove back in. And it, when you hear the title, it's called The Kiss Quotient. 
And it's by Helen Wang. And Yay! I know. And when you hear that name, you're like, okay. And when I tell you a little bit about this premise, you're going to think it's a fluffy book. And it is absolutely 100% not a fluffy book. So our, our, our heroine is named Stella Lane. And she is on the autism spectrum. And I have to tell you, as somebody who's worked in the disability field for over 15 years... I a lot of books about people with autism. I think that they're very stereotypical and not written well. And True. this this book was absolutely I almost didn't read it because the main character had autism and then I saw so many good things about it that I read it. So Stella Lane is very independent and self-sufficient. She lives on her own in San Francisco and she has an amazing job. And I am totally right now, she works in, um, it's not economics. It's, um, I know I'm blanking on it too. I can't, I just um, finished it. This it's like psychonaut. I can't even remember how to say it, but it's numbers. It's, she, 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 it's like numbers. data. She, she looks at data to determine marketing trends yeah. and she is very good at her job. She's very good at numbers and patterns. Okay. So Stella is at dinner or at um, brunch with her parents who are kind of well-to-do. They live like in Atherton, which is a very nice area. And Helen's mom is like, okay. Stella. I'm sorry, Stella. I didn't mean to say Helen. I'm sorry. That's the author's name. Stella's mom is like, okay, so I want grandchildren. When are you going to find someone? And is kind of like uh, every experience I've ever had trying to date has been terrible. My right. sexual experiences have been terrible. I, it's just, I, you know, the eye contact, the social stuff, it's been horrible. So she's at work a few days later and she's thinking about this because this is what Stella does. She, she gets on, she kind of perseverates, she gets on a, a topic and she thinks about it. And this kind of douchey guy that works in... <laughs> <laughs> He totally sorry. is. He works in her office, and but he's very handsome, and he comes in, and he's like, Stella, what are you doing here working? And, of course, like, he has a box of condoms because he's just total oh. – he's just puke. I mean, he's just sleaze. He's talking about how he's going to let go and, and see the intern, and, and she's just, like, kind of disgusted. And he said, oh, are you a virgin? Which, I mean, how terrible. How do you ask somebody that? And At um, work? At work. Basically, he's like, well, yep. you know, whatever. You just need to practice. So no she, personal space for disabled people. No, no. Well, nobody knows. I mean, they know she does not divulge to many people that she's on the spectrum because she doesn't like people to treat her different or pity her. So she works very, very hard to be socially appropriate. And she's not always successful. So Stella decides that what she's going to do, she needs to learn to be better at sex and she needs to learn how to handle being touched before she has a quote unquote real relationship. So she decides she's going to hire a male escort. So she picks this guy. She does like, of course, like an analysis and figures out which guy she thinks she'd be the most compatible with. And his name is Michael. Now, Michael is an escort only on Friday nights. And he is an escort because his mother is very ill. And they don't have money to pay. She has cancer. And they don't have money for her treatments. But she, he does not want her to know that. Now, the very interesting thing about Michael and the other interesting thing about this book is he is Vietnamese. 
And so you get to learn a lot about the Vietnamese culture in this book. So Stella and Michael meet. And what I love about this book is in a lot of books where things are not really true to life, they would get together and their first sexual encounter would be like mind blowing and perfect. And everything would be perfect because he's the man she's supposed to be with. And that's not, (laughs) (laughs) that's what Al the cat, Al the one eyed cat says, I, he says, I am the man. (laughs) He just got right up by my shoulder. Pepper has competition. (laughs) Yeah, Pepper. Oh, no, it is the perfect moment. (laughs) So, so it is not a perfect date. And at one point she completely freezes up and, it's so well done. So then she says to him, um, I would like to hire you to, for several lessons. And so then she makes this list of like sexual things she wants to learn with like check boxes. Cause she's very analytical, you know, this is how she is, but she's so, there's like such a sweetness about her too. She's lovely. Just, she's just lovely. And yeah. so at he's first lovely. he's like, he is lovely. so lovely. And he doesn't think he's worthy of her. She doesn't want him to know that she has autism because she doesn't want him to view her differently. But little does she know, he actually has a cousin with autism. So he's familiar with it already. And he doesn't feel worthy of her because she has an amazing job. She comes from money. She makes a lot of money. And he does not have a lot of money and is an escort and has some issues with his dad who's left and caused a lot of issues for the family. And so the book is about both of them kind of learning how to understand themselves and also how to understand a relationship. So it starts out that she offers to pay him just for, to learn some sexual stuff, but then it turns into, I want to pay you $50,000 a month for you to pretend to be my boyfriend so I can learn. There are way more than sexual things I have to learn. I don't know enough social stuff. And of course, it's way more than that, but that is the premise of the book. And there is so much about like his family and the culture and a lot of things. She writes a lot about the food. Yep. And it's just, if you want to read a good romance book that is very different than what's out there right now, like the billionaire's bastard puppy seals, <laughs> baby's mother. <laughs> Wow. You really should pick up this book and read it. I, I, I really could talk about it for another 20 minutes, but I won't because other people want to talk about their books. But please pick up, if you can, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Wang. And coming out soon is The, the Bride, Test. Bride Test in May. And that book is about Michael's cousin who has autism. And before we move on, I just have to say very quickly that I just love the way that this book portrays disability. It's not the all-consuming central theme of the story. It's just a very well-done sort of – the plot hinges on it. I mean, because that's – she has autism. You know, she's on the spectrum. But it's – there's so much more to the book than the fact that she has a disability, and that's what I love about it. So my last pick is also a book that I read because of Jen, because she mentioned it on, I think it's November's, um, the November Picks episode. So this is The Kinship of Secrets by Eugenia Kim. Yes. And I originally was not going to talk about this, um, but then I read a couple of other things and I decided that I liked this one the best. So 
this is a novel about a family who leaves Korea um, in 1950, I believe. Yep. And they, it's a husband and a wife, and they take their oldest daughter with them. But they have a younger daughter that they leave behind oh. with the mother's brother. And they That'd do this. Hard. Yes. And they do this for a lot of reasons. And we don't know all of the reasons right away. Like, you know, obviously, that it's going to be hard for them to travel with two young children. Um, and, you know, you kind of have an idea that there's a lot of hardship, but you don't fully understand the reasons that compelled them to leave this one child behind. And pick the other one, yeah. Yes. And so they planned to come back to Korea in a couple of years. They were going to raise some money and start a school in Seoul. But the Korean War is now happening, and they cannot make it back. And so they are apart for, like... 16 years wow uh, and yeah. it we see things from the point of view of miran who is the oldest daughter and inja who is the daughter that is left in korea and we see kind of the differences in the lives that these two girls have led and it's just a really really compelling story about war about family um and about what it means to really honor and love someone. Like, is honesty always, always, always the best policy? Or are there times when we lie and keep things hidden? Um, and is that sometimes the best thing to do? It just asks some really deep questions. Um, it's a lovely story. There's not a ton of action. Like, you're not, you know, the, the plot isn't fast-paced. But it's so, so worth reading, um, and I very highly recommend it. I want to pick up her first novel, which is called The Calligrapher's Daughter. Um, but this one is The Kinship of Secrets, and it is by Eugenia Kim. The last book I'm going to talk about is City of Saints yes. and Thieves by Natalie C. Anderson. Uh, in this book, we see Tina, and Tina and her mother left the Congo, and they came to Kenya to basically seek refuge and her mother got a job as a maid with this very wealthy family called the Grey Hills. But then her mother ended up being murdered and she was found in the study of this Roland Grey Hill guy. And so Tina has never really gotten over that and she has gotten in with this gang in the city which has a name that I would probably terribly mispronounce. But she decides she, so she grows up her whole rest of her life and she's very focused on revenge. This is actually a revenge book I actually read, which is not normally my thing, but um, she decides she's going to get back into this house and she's going to find out what really happened to her mother and get revenge on whoever killed her mother. And so she does get into the house, but then all these things start surfacing for her, like memories and these old friendships and <clears throat> the book goes on from there. Um, it was just so interesting. Like I'd never read a book written or set in Kenya before. And it was just, it was super fascinating, very fast paced. Um, this story just really draws you in and um, I highly recommend it. She's got a new novel coming out that's set in an entirely different place called Let's Go Swimming on Doomsday. Oh. 
And um, like, no, it actually came out on the twenty second of January, I think. The twenty second or the twenty ninth? Oh, okay, yeah, about a, like almost a month ago. Okay, never mind. Anyway, it's out now. Um, but I just I really like the way she writes. I like that she sets um, books in different places, places that you wouldn't expect and within cultures that you wouldn't expect. Um, and I just think her writing is absolutely engaging. If you like thrillers, obviously, if you like yes. books, if you like books about different cultures, definitely check it out because it was super interesting and, and very, very fast paced. I really enjoyed it. Again, it's called City of Saints and Thieves by Natalie C. Anderson. I love that it's like a darker young adult thriller like it doesn't try to be like more than it is you know it's not like how do i say Mm -hmm. like she's not a superhero she doesn't have these right she doesn't have like superhero spy gadgets she's not like no no it's like very (laughs) very real given like her life circumstances and like what she actually has access to versus like what she thinks that she should like in her mind yeah um, I just I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that about it, that it was it was content to be just a, a young adult thriller without a lot of like bells and whistles. But in yes. a believable way. Yes. Yeah. So, so good. So the last thing that I'm going to talk about tonight, I would call it more on the saccharine end of the romance spectrum, but I so adored it for everything that it was. So the book is called His Perfect Partner, and the author is Priscilla Olivares. And this book was just really delightful. So it's about, um, it's about Yasmin and her sisters. And Yasmin has come home to Chicago um, to take care of her father, who has cancer. And she left um, a, a promising career in Broadway as a dancer to come home to take care of her father two years ago. But what she doesn't divulge to her father at the beginning of the story is something sort of tragic happened to her in New York. Um, And so she's basically running away from that for a while and coming home to heal and also to take care of her father. And she's the oldest of three sisters and their mother died when she was in high school. So the three sisters kind of, and their father have banded together to be this very beautiful, lovely family together. And so Yasmin is teaching dance classes at this dance studio and she has this little five-year-old plot moppet, I'm sorry, five-year-old child named Maria that she is working <laughs> with a lot. And um, Maria has a father who's been kind of absentee from her dance lessons. And so Yasmin has begun making some sort of, you know, she has some thoughts about him based on his inability to show up for dance class. Well, anyway, so this book is basically about Yasmin and her family and Tomas, who is the single dad raising his daughter, Maria, and how these two people kind of reluctantly form this friendship um, over time. And they both wanted to be something more, but he will never, Tomas will never date another woman who is so career centric. Um, That's what happened with his wife. And she ended up leaving him with their child and basically signing over all of her parental rights because she wanted to go and live a different lifestyle. And, you know, um, Yasmin, it's her father's dream that she is a Broadway dancer. And it's not necessarily, she questions if it's her dream. And while all this is going on and these people are having this like tug of war of lust and, you know, um, 
kind of friendship together. Um, Yasmin's father is, um, his cancer diagnosis is terminal. And so basically she and her beautiful sisters are working together to kind of accept this um, inevitable loss that is fast approaching them. So this book is all about um, family and um, you know, uh, she is Puerto Rican and he is, um, he's Mexican. And so about these cultures that I don't know as much about as I should, to be perfectly honest with you and how they have a lot of putting family first. And it was just a really beautifully told story. It doesn't go anywhere quickly. It's sort of a slow burn, um, very low on the sexiness scale in terms of descriptions, but just a really nice, (laughs) I know, but you know, what I liked about it was I learned a lot about um, different aspects of different cultures that I didn't know as much about as I should. So just a lovely story. So if you want to pick up something that's just sort of happy and light, but beautiful at the same time, try his perfect partner by Priscilla Oliveras. So the next book I'm going to talk about, I, it was a, a gem. I don't even know what made me start this book. I didn't know what it was about for once. Didn't we it talk about book. it on Keyscape? I don't know. No, we didn't. We talked about it after I read it. Oh, okay. And, and it was a book. I don't even know what made me start it. I think I just liked the first line. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't read the synopsis. And actually, the synopsis doesn't give much away. Anyway, it's called Good Kings, Bad Kings yes. by Susan Ness. Huh? Yes, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. And this book is is about it, it takes place in an institution for juveniles with disabilities, so young young adults oh, with disabilities, and it's called I L L C. Just imagine, like they just gave it one letter, and it's basically told from various points of view. Some of some of the people telling the story are the kids. One of the people telling the story is a bus driver that drives them around and another person telling the story is an employee there who happens to also be disabled and then the other person telling the story is what is she like a shannon she's social worker i know her name is michelle oh yeah she's she's sort of a social worker yeah shallowest yeah she's more than a social worker yeah she's kind of so this basically shares all of their stories and all of their trials because everybody has a different you know, everybody has different um, disability. All the kids have different, different things, and you know, it basically shows how they live day to day in this institution and how this institution treats them or mistreats them. Oh, jeez, I don't even. Um, well, it it's not. You know, it's it's not like you know you know, not necessarily. They're not being you know like tortured or anything. Um. You know, Hello, in the shower as you die. Um, not being in the shower. Spoil that? No, because I didn't say who. I oh, just well, said someone did. No, no, no. But okay, but that wasn't. <laughs> that was not on purpose. It's part of neglect. They're being more neglected than anything else. I, but you know, she's probably thinking, you know, frontal lobotomies and crazy stuff like that. I'm just saying it doesn't have that. It's more their day-to-day life and how they're viewed as subhuman by even the people that are supposed to be caring for them, caring, helping, helping them, making their lives better and and helping them have successful. You know, those books are so hard for me to read and they are so books that we should be reading. It's something that is not talked about Mm -hmm. when you know, when you look at um, like diversity and stuff like that. This right. this whole disability. I don't mean to derail your book, but this whole disability like culture right. is something that is not focused on, mm-hmm. especially like this. 
like that. And also the the activism too, like other things. Well, yeah, focus on that. I'm blind and I know about it, so it was definitely something I learned. Yes. And also, um, there was another side of the coin that I never thought about when I read this book, because you you kind of, if you grow up as a disabled person, no matter what your disability is, when you read it, when you read books about disabilities, you can see yourself, and it it can be very relatable for for people like us, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was. But one other thing that that never actually crossed my mind, and maybe I'm naive, is that sometimes the reasons why they don't want these disabled kids to succeed and to actually be independent and to be better is because they see them as cash cows. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. Yep. Which yes. Was something mm-hmm. that until I read this book, mm-hmm. I didn't know. And you know, it's it it is a hard read. I can't say it's not, uh, but it's it's very it's hard. It's so very important. important, and it's so important for people to read it because I think it's something that even me being in the disabled community something I wasn't aware of something that I didn't know and you know you'd think I, you know I I probably would be closer to it than most people you know most people will go their whole lives without meeting somebody disabled and I just think it's something so important to be read and on top of that it's a great book I loved how this author was able to express these multiple points of view of all of these different people in different stages of their lives and how they interacted and and how they became activists in their own rights and started fighting for their own rights, which was yes. really cool. Okay, so I have to is, read this. Yes, it's it's yeah, a great it's read. So good, very powerful. It's so good. It's very disturbing, but I think a lot. To, you know, with the it, you know a lot of the things you were saying about like institutions and stuff. I think a lot of that was was hidden. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it did happen in our history. Kind of like the it's, Chinese um, people who were from China and they came over here and how they weren't mm-hmm. treated well. And that's just not really part of our history. Absolutely. Same right. with the disability. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, but we don't it. know it, though. Yeah. Right. Like, right. right. Yeah. It's I so, read an article. But that's I why read I think an article on it, eugenics um, and what they used to do to disabled babies, what doctors oh, were yeah. allowed to do 100 years ago to disabled babies without any punishment. There's... That's why it's so important that we read these books, these own voices books, because we learn about things that we wouldn't otherwise know about, whether it's stuff to do with history, culture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's definitely important. And, you know, I think it's one of the things um, when I went to college, when I went to college in Berkeley, Berkeley was a school where people were coming from all over the world to study music. And I met all these people from all these different countries. And I realized that they knew more about our history than I did. Because and I feel like the reason why I started liking history as an adult was because in school I feel like every year I got the same history. Uh For sure, Mm -hmm. slavery, Civil War, America, World War Two, America. That's it. And I just feel like in other developed countries, people get so much more. They learn about America, but they learn about the world. They learn about Europe. They learn about and unless you were like gifted and you took AP history, you didn't learn any of these things here. But, you know, aside from trying to, I'm not trying to go on a tangent about education. That would be a whole other podcast. (laughs) This book is called Good Kings, Bad Kings. And it's by Susan Nisbum. And I think you should read it. I will. I do. I would make that, like, if I could require people to read certain things. Yeah, Um, that and the hate you give. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We can start to make a list, like required reads for the world these are the classics they should make you read in school like yeah like, of the ones we already read well i think that does it for us this evening thank you to jen sarah stacy and natalia 
for doing such awesome work to put this episode together um, really quickly because we we're not um, planning to do this right away. And then we got a request and this is what we did. So thank you all so much and stay tuned, of course, for part two next week. Thanks, as always, to the fabulous Christine for her editing, which she will have <laughs> lots um, to do. Lots to do today. <laughs> oh man! But thank you. You you make this podcast, um, you know, actually listenable, and we appreciate it. We do. Yes, and thanks, of course, thanks. to everyone who tunes in each week, and we hope that we are expanding your TBR piles. Um, I know when we do this, I end up expanding mine. Me too. <laughs> if you would like to let us know how we're doing, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. It lets us know what you think, but it also helps the algorithms to guide other book lovers to the show, which is a great thing. I hope all of you have a fantastic week and I'll be back on Tuesday morning with some new releases and a bunch of us will be back next week for part two of this episode. Woo. Take care, everybody.